So back on another entry of the Forest Ward podcast, and I've got the pleasure of sitting with Tucker Denton from our ward. Um, so Tucker, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it on a weekend, especially. Um, so as we always like to start off, can you just go into a little bit about what makes Tucker, Tucker, and the kind of your background, um, what you're all about, really? If I were to introduce myself describing what makes me me, mm-hmm. I think that the thing that makes me me the most is I have a really strong passion for stuff. Okay. Such that I'm pretty confident I would be an addict the second I tried any addictive substances of any kind. <laughs> like, I already eat Oreos too much. Okay, yeah. But I just, I love things. And I love loving things and being excited about things uh-huh. and being passionate about stuff. Yeah. I have transitioned that passion from through in many things over the course of my life from a young age, really loving Star Wars and reading every single Star Wars book in the Mesa Public Library. Nice. That is a true fact. I was 17 years old and I realized there was not one additional Star Wars book in the Mesa Public Library I had not finished. Perfect. And I have loved fatherhood and my mission and teaching and lots of other stuff that mm-hmm. I have kind of applied that really strong passion towards over the course of my so life. So when you get into something, it's not like halfway. You really no. you really dive into it. Huh? I'm, not, I'm not a halfway kind of guy. Okay. So you, you mentioned the... Especially Mesa... in the volume department. <laughs> That's good. It makes it easier on the recordings. Um, so you mentioned um, growing up, you know, going to the Mesa Public Library often, I assume. Mm-hmm. So are you're originally from Mesa then? Yep. Were you I was raised born here? in Provo while, okay. my ke- while my parents were at college. Okay. Fun fact, actually, Carly and I were both born at the same hospital to the same doctor approximately one month one month apart. Really? Yep. That's a fun fact. That and is Our cool. firstborn, Annie, was born in that same hospital. Different doctor. Though. Okay. Okay. When I was born in Provo. Uh, my parents went to Chicago for law school and I was there according to pictures, but not according to my memory. Mm -hmm. We moved to Mesa and lived in the Mesa East Stake on Cicero Street when I was about four or five. And all of my memories are from Mesa. We lived, I lived my whole life growing up in the Mesa East Stake, just across Gilbert from here. Mm -hmm. And I went to Field Elementary and then Barbara Bush Elementary and Post and Junior High, Mountain View. Nice. Okay. I'm a, I'm a Mason man all the way. Perfect. And your family. So, um, what was your, like your family, like brothers and sisters, how how many of them, and then your family now, what does that look like? I am the second of eight kids. Okay. I have an older sister, Heidi, who's very quiet and mature. Um, but will laugh hard if you fall down and hurt yourself Uh as long as you're not seriously injured. Um, then I have six siblings younger than me, Ben, who's four years younger than me, Lily, who is younger than that. Ella, who died when she was a little baby. Micah, who's on a mission right now. Hiram, who's a sophomore in mm-hmm. my seventh hour seminary class, actually. <laughs> and Eve, who's in eighth grade at Poston. Okay, cool. We are well spread out. Yeah, yeah. All phases of life right now, right? Yeah. Um, okay, and how about your family now? You mentioned your wife, Carly. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have been, I guess, with that fun fact, close since the time of birth, so to speak. Yes, we have. Uh, yes. But so what was that relationship like? How did you guys meet and what led up to you we guys getting married? do not remember exactly how we met. Okay. Carly did gymnastics with my older sister, Heidi. 
Um, and we lived in the same stake growing up. And so my, our parents figured out a carpool for it. And we suppose that we must have met backseat of my parents' car at some point being shipped from one place to another. Um, probably me in my karate uniform and her and her gymnast unitard or whatever those things are called. Dressed to impress. Leo, I think. Yeah. Dressed to impress, man. There's nothing a lady likes better than a eight-year-old kid with huge thick glasses and a white belt wrapped around his gi. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So we met there, and then we um, were really good friends at Poston. Okay. Um, we went to Poston together, and if you ask her, she'll say that she fell in love with me in ninth grade. Okay. And was pretty sure that I was the one she was going to marry, wow. which is truly alarming if you look at <laughs> pictures of me at 13 and 14. Okay. Anybody who looks at a 14-year-old boy and like... That's what I want to marry. Really needs to be checked out psychologically, but like her especially. Yeah. Well. So we were best friends through junior high and high school, and she was the one I would go to for advice on other girls. And she was a really, really good friend. Mm-hmm. And then another one of our friends wanted to ask her to senior prom, and somebody else texted me and was like, hey. Did you hear that so-and-so is trying to ask Carly a prom? And I was like... That didn't sit so well with you, huh? <sighs> nah! Not at all. So I texted him and I was like, nope, yeah, that one's mine. And he's like, well, we'll see who she says yes to, basically. Ooh. So I called her mom and I was like, hey, Jen, is it okay if I ask Carly to prom? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to get the mother-in-law on my yeah. side. Yeah, yeah which has been a card that has served me well over the last decade or so. And uh, she said, yeah, sure. And Carly got asked to prom twice in one day. Wow. Yeah, I was second, but my asking was better. And also <laughs> she'd been in love with me for three years and the other guy was just kind of a guy from her ward. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's tough to beat. That other poor guy kind of had the odds yeah. stacked against him, it seems like. Well, uh, Sucks to be him, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so you guys have been married now and, uh, what is your family like now? We have four kids. Um, Annie, she's eight. Mm-hmm. Eli is six. Caroline is four and Daniel is almost two. Cool. Um, we just found out yesterday, um, that our baby that is due in June is going to be a girl. A girl on the way, huh? Yep. Girl on the way. Congratulations. That is so Thank cool. You. That was very happy because we already have a girl name picked out, but picking another boy name might have broken our marriage. Oh, glad I won't come to that. Cannot come up with boy names to save my life. Yeah. I can relate to that struggle personally. Boy yeah. names are stinky, man. They're, they're tough. Yeah. It's so hard. It wasn't easy for us. So you mentioned um, in early life... Uh, you know, uh, moving, going on a mission, right? What, what's, what kind of role has missionary um, service played in your life or hope it plays in the future, I guess, is another way of asking. As a seminary teacher, one of my least favorite questions to ever get is, how did you decide to go on a mission? Because the answer is boring and dumb. And it's, I don't know, I just always knew that I was going to go on a mission, yeah. which is not helpful to these teenagers that are like trying to make this decision for themselves. For me, I was just like, because I sang I Hope They Call Me on a Mission when I was three and I liked that song and decided that I was going to go on a mission, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked forward with extreme excitement to my missionary service. Um, I served in New York City, okay. uh, Spanish-speaking, cool. which I absolutely loved. Um, met some fantastic people and learned a lot about myself. I think that 
perhaps more than anything else, Heavenly Father wanted me to recognize some things about myself that I'm not sure I could have recognized any other way. Serving mission was a deeply personal experience with a lot of trials and craziness and success. And I hope to someday go on another mission with my wife. Yeah, down the road. Yep. The, the, the age change where they went from 21 to 19-year-old girls mm-hmm. happened when I was three-quarters of the way through my mission. Okay. And at that point, we were not allowed to email back and forth with um, anybody other than family. Okay. So my wife sent an email to my mother who emailed me Okay. saying, this is what Carly said. And it was basically, I'm not sure if I want to go on a mission or not. I'm thinking about it. I kind of want to. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Ooh. Yeah. Some restless nights perhaps yeah, there, like, right? Well, I'm six months out from finishing my mission. If you submit your call now, you'll get a call for a month before I come home. And then we won't see each other for another year and a half. Yeah. And I tried to be super supportive and be like, you do whatever you like. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. You make your choice. You have your revelation. But inside, I was secretly saying, no, 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 no. Okay, so cliffhanger here. How did, how did that work out? So I promised her that someday we'd go on a mission together. And she looks forward to me keeping that promise. Okay, nice. Okay. So you come home and um, how much time went between your return from your mission and uh, and getting married then? So I returned home from my mission on May 15th, 2013. I turned 21 on May 17th, 2013, two days later. That was also the day um, of our first kiss. Um, And we were engaged on, don't kill me, Carly, if I get this wrong, June 9th, 2013. We can fact check and then it later. We can, we yeah, <laughs> let's, let's edit that out so I don't get eviscerated by my wife. She's like the ultimate date rememberer. Oh, yeah. She can like tell you the birthday of her random best friend from first grade that she hasn't spoken to or thought about in years. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know anything about them but their birthday. She remembers dates and stuff so well. And it's actually a pretty handy skill. Yeah, it's a great skill. Sometimes it can be detriment. So I, think, I think it was June 9th. Um, Carly was going to. Um, Belgium to do a internship in an ancient music library thing where she was like helping preserve a bunch of ancient musical, I want to say scrolls, but that they weren't actually scrolls, but it kind of gives off the vibe of like dusty scrolls. So she was going to Belgium for a few months over the summer before the semester at BYU started in the, in the fall. Okay. And I was going to go be an EFY counselor um, for the summer. And so we were going to split up and right before we split up, we locked it down tight. Got engaged. Got engaged, yep. Cool. Asked her to marry me, and she said, put it on, put it on, referring to the ring. Yeah. Not saying yes at all until I asked her if she was saying <laughs> yes or not. Perfect. Okay, so uh, later down the road, you've alluded a little bit to your um, your role as a seminary teacher now. So what led up to that decision in terms of your professional life? How, what was the thinking like? What was the process like? How did, how did you settle on? Okay. I want to, I want to be a seminary teacher. That's a good question. When I was a young man, I was under the impression that if you were smart and you wanted to be successful, you had two options, lawyer or doctor. Okay. And I did not want to be a lawyer. Um, that did not sound good to me. I wanted to help people. And so doctor was the only option. And I kind of moved around what I would like to do over the course of like, 
my teenage years. And of course, like when I was five, I wanted to be a paleontologist because what kind of crazy five-year-old doesn't want to be a paleontologist? Oh, yeah, yeah. But once I grew out of that, maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe being a paleontologist would have been rad. But I decided that I would kind of – I thought about being an OBGYN because I just love – babies and like mm-hmm. delivering babies seems like it would be the coolest thing ever. And now having, um, had a couple of our own and actually our for Daniel, our fourth, I was the only person in the room with Carly when he was born. I caught him and really, yeah, everything was awesome. Oh, you are a braver man than really I am. Cool. Well, when you've done it a couple times, Alec, you've, you've done it once and it's a little scary the first time cause you don't know what's going on. Horrifying. And then, yeah, it is. It can be a little horrifying. It was a little crazy. But once you kind of do it a couple of times, it can be really, really beautiful. And frankly, Carly is absolutely incredible at hmm. giving birth. She, like, does it without meds. She wow. just buckles down and Man. grits her teeth. and That's amazing to me. Speaks kind words to herself and just, like, lets it go. It, it's actually pretty amazing to watch. Yeah. And so... Oh, this like fifth that. one, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to catch her too. We'll see. So, the potential role or job as an OBGYN has maybe turned into a, a bit of a hobby, I guess. Yeah. Outside, <laughs> you, you could say it's a bit of a hobby. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I had a friend in high school whose dad was an OBGYN, and I happened to be over at her house and just mentioned something to him. He's like, "Nah, don't be an OBGYN, dude. Babies have no schedule. Yeah. Be a be a pediatrician or something." I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, I'll be a pediatrician. Thanks, Doctor mm-hmm. Ted, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, decided to be a pediatrician for most of my life. I uh, went to BYU for a year before my mission. My birthday's in May. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't go until I was 19, a full year after I graduated high school. So I went to a semester of a biology, a year of a biology degree at BYU, um, science that I'm still interested in and think is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, came back, went on my mission, came back from my mission, um, and still planning to be a doctor, I went to EFY as a counselor. And at EFY, I recognized that I love being around youth and teaching the gospel and taking opportunities to teach them. And I met a guy who is in charge of hiring the seminary teachers out of BYU. And I was okay. like, that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Like they let real people do that. Cause in my mind, it was like, well, you gotta be like this celestialized, like perfect dude to be able to even like step foot in front of a seminary classroom and in reality they let idiots do it all the time i'm living proof uh so i i got really excited about that and started kind of veering onto that path and at that point when i made that decision carly i had already asked my father-in-law for his blessing on our marriage and Mm with the assumption that I was going to be a doctor and Carly was under the assumption (laughs) I was going to be a doctor. My education was under the assumption I was going to be a doctor. And then I Skyped Carly in Belgium and she was like waking up from her nap. I was about to go to sleep and Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, so, uh, what do you think about me being a seminary teacher? And I was like really afraid of the way that she would take it and Uh the way that she would react because I was still kind of locked into that mindset of like, if you want to be successful, you have to do these things. And you're on the brink of getting married. Yeah, There's a lot, exactly, of, a lot of pressure exactly. with that, right? And I was still really locked into this mentality of like, if you don't fulfill these very specific steps for your life, then you're not going to be happy or successful. And I was kind of afraid. Mm-hmm. And I will remember, I just really remember her faithful response and said, you will be great at that. And I will support you no matter what you want to do. 
And that would be tested over the next couple of years. I mean, the, being a seminar teacher is highly, highly competitive because yeah. nobody ever leaves. Yeah. Well, not nobody, but it's it's quite rare. Yeah. Um, when people when people quit being a seminar teacher, like it kind of ripples through the whole seminar teacher community. Yeah. Like, oh, did you hear Kyle decided to quit and be a public school principal? Like, yeah. That's that stuff like is big, and it only happens once every couple of years, typically on average, about one. Mm-hmm. Per year, probably. So very, very little turnover. Very little turnover. Yeah. And so there are very few open spots. Gotcha. And frankly, being a summer teacher gives you almost no skills that communicate to any other job. Like my skills in my job are like manipulating teenage social structures <laughs> and uh, remembering all the doctrinal masteries yeah. and knowing where scriptures are, which like is a non-issue for any other employment. Yeah. And so that, that probably contributes to the turnover as well. So I, I tried to get hired at BYU. The way that it works is you take this class of like 120 people or whatever, 150 people. And in that class, they decide to hire part-time okay. um, about 20. Okay. And the way they make that decision is they put you into a real seminary class that a regular seminary teacher is teaching and have you teach it for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Okay. And so I went and just taught a seminary class for two weeks and I loved it. Probably one of those experiences where you went, you jumped into it, it and was, you really got into it. It huh? became, yeah, it was, it was this, this thing where it became, I became so passionate about it. I will still remember, it was section 104 of the Doctrine and Covenants, but it was the first lesson I ever taught in a seminary class. It's about the law of consecration. So it's like, it's, it's not even like the most exciting section of the Doctrine and Covenants, but for me, that is like a sacred section of the Doctrine and Covenants because I still remember in those like cubicles in the BYU Herald Lee library and be sitting there for hours yeah. pouring over those 100 whatever verses hmm. and thinking and pondering and, and writing and prepping for probably, I don't know, I must have prepped 25 hours for that first class. Wow. Just hoping beyond hope and loving what starting to love what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And getting in front of a seminary class was just it was so energizing. Yeah. I, my, my wife and I like to joke that I am an extroverted introvert and she is an introverted extrovert. Okay. In that I prefer to spend my time alone. Okay. I, I like to read books by myself. I like to um, do all kinds of random stuff by myself. I like mm-hmm. to read. I like to write. I like to play games. I like to, all kinds of things that are just me. I like to be by myself. Yeah. Um, but when I'm in front of people, I kind of blossom into an almost a different person. Yeah. Um, high energy. Um, and that works really well in a seminary class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carly is kind of the opposite where like she likes to be around people and she prefers to be around people, but in public, she's kind of a little more, a little more of a listener, a little more, a little more um, Almost cautious, if you will. Sure. That, that doesn't like really fully communicate it. Carly, you can com- correct me later on the comments of the podcast. Do podcasts have comments? Uh, we can look into it. Yeah. Great. Let's get some comments on this podcast, <laughs> and then you guys can come out and tell me how wrong I am about Carly's psychology. That'll be <laughs> awesome. But so getting in front of the seminary class was just the biggest like it's yeah. like a, a shot of endorphins almost is this crazy thing. And I, I remember walking out of there and being like, I'm not sure I have ever felt the spirit so strongly mm. as when I was trying to help 
these kids. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. I loved it so much. And just a couple of weeks later, they had a teacher, um, one of the student teachers drop out to take another job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they needed a teacher to fill in his two or three classes. Um, and they asked me to do it. And so starting in March, um, I was teaching. I was teaching at uh, ALA in Spanish Fork. Okay. Um, and I taught, I think, two classes. Um, and that was the end of the Doctrine and Covenants that I was teaching. I was teaching things like uh, polygamy. I was teaching things like um, eternal marriage mm-hmm. and all, all kinds of stuff that happens towards the end. I was teaching the martyrdom of Joseph Smith and like really like Some heavy, heavy crunchy, topics. crunchy, yeah. heavy topics. Yeah. Stuff that you got to know your stuff for. And so uh-huh. I was prepping 25 hours. You know? Yeah. Because I, I, te- I taught every other day because it was on a block schedule. So I would prep. Like, I was completely ignoring all of my homework. And I was still in college at the time. Mm. I was like not going to class. I was not doing what I was supposed to. Mm. I was just focused on doing this. And I loved it. And that semester, one of the full-time teachers at uh, that school uh, got cancer. And so he needed to take like a year off Um and one of the blessings of working for the church is they have fantastic insurance. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to take his, take his time, but they needed somebody to fill his spot. So I ended up teaching nearly a full teaching load that next semester okay. at this school. And it was fantastic. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. My principal would come and observe me and things were going great. The kids did like evaluations of me mm-hmm. um, and they were pretty favorable. I, will all, I actually always remember one comment from those. It said, Brother Denton laughs at jokes for way longer than they're funny before, but like, that's okay, no biggie. End quote. <laughs> it's been like, what has it been? Like, probably eight years since that I'm still laughing about it, so I yeah. guess they were right. Yeah. But so they filled these things out, and it was going really well, and uh, the area director, which is like the principal of principals, mm-hmm. comes and observes, and he's like, man, I wish my kid was in this class. That would be fantastic. And I was like, my hopes were super high. Good. And then with the, in the last week of school, it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was the last week. On Monday, both of the pre-service directors, who are the guys in charge of deciding whether you get hired or not, came to watch my first hour. Uh, and at the end of class, they were like, hey, thanks for your time, but we're not going to ask you to continue teaching next semester. And I was just completely spiritually, physically deflated. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, and I just was confused and I was frustrated and I didn't know what to do. And I went out to my car and drove home through the snow with like bleary eyes, unable to see screaming at God and myself and frustrated and crying and didn't know what to do. I had to go home and tell my wife I'd lost my job and my career path. And so we went home and I just cried and cried and cried. This was my, like, like I said, I, I get really passionate and attached to things. Mm-hmm. And I was so attached to this. So attached to the point where I was like, I'm going to abandon the medical school field. I'm going to abandon everything. I'm going to take whatever major will get me out of college the fastest, which ended up being Spanish translation, which is one of the most useless degrees in the United States for a white guy. Um, because if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you want to, if you wanted to translate something into Spanish, would you go? Oh yeah, I'll get that return missionary white guy to do it, 
Or would you get like your Mexican buddy from down the street? Or would you get your guy, the guy you know from Venezuela who's lived here his whole life? Mm-hmm. Or that Chilean guy that you know? Yeah. So if you want a career in that, you got to go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So I, that was a useless degree, but it was the fastest path out. Okay. And so I was like stuck and I was like, they tell you when, they tell you when you start uh, trying to do seminary, they're, they're like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Sure. It's yeah. really competitive. Cause not only do they have that class of 120 that they hire about 20 student teachers from, mm-hmm. from those 20 student teachers, they hire about eight full time. Wow. So you're looking at like single digit percentage success rates of getting hired full time. And I was just, right. I was like, can't lose. Yeah. And just zoomed off into it and totally, totally failed. It was terrible. And I remember, I remembered um, a seminary teacher of mine, brother Mark Nielsen from Post Engineer High, who had mentioned just casually, I firmly believe this was the spirit bringing all things to my remembrance, like John 14, 26 promises. And I remember him mentioning that he didn't get hired at BYU. And so he came down to ASU and tried at ASU instead. And so I, emailed him before they kicked me off the church's email server was like, <laughs> and was like, Hey, and he's like, yeah, come down here. I know the guy who's in charge of that down here. I can get you in starting in January. And that was December, like, I don't know, 14th, 15th or whatever. Mm-hmm. And by December 18th or 19th, whatever the Saturday was, we had packed up all of our things from our apartment in Utah and we were moving down to Arizona. Wow. I discovered that I could, Finished my degree online. Carly had just finished her degree that week. And we left to come down here so I could try again. And that second try, I really focused a lot on the way that I was coming across. um, And did a really significant personality change. To the point where somebody who knew me when I was 17 and somebody who knows me now would probably recognize some vague elements of the same person, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of change that had to happen for me to be ready to, to teach seminary full time. Mm -hmm. And I went through the process down here and finally got hired. And, but all this to say, Carly was extremely patient and faithful as I was trying to figure out what to do with my life because it did not coalesce the way that I expected it in the slightest. Right. And that, that's how life goes. Like, right. That's, that's why they say that's life sometimes. Um, and one of the things that we like to ask is how, how would you, uh, um, like what, what, what life experience has caused you to trust most in God? I, I like to ask that a lot. And that, that sounds like this could be a prime example. Um, it, it definitely is one. I mean, there is a really good talk by David A. Bednar, and I'm blinking on his on the title of it, but it talks about how whether we have the faith to not be healed. It might just be that the faith not to be healed yeah. might be the title of the talk. I'll have to look it up. For, for what it's worth, we can I, publish I, it in the fictitious. I, I actually I actually know this because we talked about it in a bishopric meeting, but it's called that we might not shrink. No, we is, might not shrink. Is what it's okay. it, and yeah, I great. Whole, read the comments. Wholeheartedly endorse Tucker's suggestion here, but it, it, it is fantastic so talk, yeah. and and it's about how. Um, it's, it compares and contrasts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their experience with the fire mm-hmm. with Abinadi and his experience with the fire. Where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not, we know that our God will save us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship you. And Abinadi was able to manifest such incredible faith despite not having the result he wanted. 
And I think that, I think that that is something that God needed me to go through. Mm. And I was so angry with him at that moment because mm. I felt like I had been led there. And, you know, I felt bad, like, a couple of days later that I was mad. Mm-hmm. But years later, I don't feel bad about being angry. I mean, it's because God, God can take it. Yeah, He's not sitting up there, like, also getting angry that I'm angry at him. Jesus bore my burdens. He bore my sins. He bore my fears and my pain. He also bore my anger, and he's happy to bear it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that anger to poison my relationship with him, so I didn't let it stay. But I was happy to just kind of release it for a little yeah. while and... and be frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I think that that frustration really led to me changing who I was. Yeah. I don't think I would be who I am or where I am without that experience of failing so badly because failing was not something that I was very accustomed to. I had lived my whole life as a kid who just was pretty much able to kind of skate his way through school Mm -hmm. and even my degree at BYU it was kind of a thing where I didn't really have to go to class I didn't really as long as I I can just kind of finagle my way through it there was this things came easy there was this physical science class at BYU where um the professor on the first day the syllabus day he's like you got two options for your grade option one come to come to class learn everything and then um, your grade will be all of your assignments and quizzes and whatever put together. Option two, your final grade is your whole grade. And I was like, closing my book, zipping my backpack, I'm out of here. I am going to take that <laughs> test on the last day, and I'm not going to. And I didn't attend a single day of that class other than that first day. Wow. Got an A in the class yeah. in the end. I passed that <laughs> test. Studied for about 25 minutes, kind of flipped my way through the through the book, and just kind of figured my way through it. And that that had kind of been a pattern for me. Mm-hmm. And that pattern is sustainable in the public school system because frankly it's idiotic, but it's not sustainable in the plan of salvation because in the plan of salvation, we have to be willing to fail and learn. Mm -hmm. That's part of, that's part of not just life, but that's part of the plan to become like our heavenly parents. Yeah. To change and learn and fail and learn from that failure. Have Jesus take the consequences of that failure away at least the eternal spiritual consequences of that failure and me left with just the lessons that I learned from it. Mm-hmm. And I really needed to learn that lesson, especially as I became a father. Yeah. I'm sure that experience of being a father helps you kind of understand heavenly father's perspective. Like when your kid's frustrated at you and angry, you're like, listen, I can, I can take it. Like you said, like whatever, you just need to get it out of your system and then you'll see what I see. Right. There was a moment couple months ago where Eli, my six-year-old, was so angry about something. He was hitting people and things and breaking stuff. And so I picked him up with one arm under his legs, like with his knees, and one arm under his head. And I held him tight, like a wrestling cradle grip. <laughs> and I, he and I just sat on the back porch for probably, I don't know, 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Of him just screaming and screaming and screaming. I was like, as soon as I, as soon as you calm down, I'll let you go. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. You're hurting other people. As soon as, as soon as you calm down. And I just, I, I continue to think about that experience and how God would have done that differently. Because it's one of those things like, what would I have done differently? How would I have, and I've thought about it a hundred times, you know, but I wonder how he would have done it. And I think that, I think that overall, the main takeaway that I got from that experience was that he's, he's going to allow us to fail and struggle and hurt ourselves 
and other things because that's what we learn from. Yeah. But he's also going to heal us when we hurt ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I wish that, I don't know. I don't wish because like Alma the Younger, I would sin in my wish, but I kind of almost wish <laughs> that I could have that power to just heal the hurts that my kids experience. That's hard to watch. Yeah. But at the same time, I hope that someday they'll grow up and be capable, functional adults, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great outlook. Yeah, I agree. Um, so just a couple couple more questions. You touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask more directly. So what what um, what helps nurture your testimony the most uh, in adult life now, in the, in the stage that you're at at this point in your the life? Scriptures. The scriptures, huh? And, and, and it's not close. Um, I... I enjoy prayer. Prayer is an important part of my life. Um, fasting is something that hopefully someday Jesus can help me get better at. <laughs> um, I hesitate to admit on the internet, but I have fasted an actual 24 hour fast, maybe four or five times in my adult life. Uh, this is a safe place. I think you're. <laughs> You're okay. It's, it's not something that that I derive a lot of value. And if I was more Christ-like, I probably would be better about this. But it's not something that I derive a ton of value from, personally. I, I It's probably because I don't approach it with the right idea, because I have too much passion about food and Oreos, as we mentioned. But you, can't, you can't be perfected yet. Time but, like, and, and there are a lot of other things. Like, I enjoy, like, classes and things mm-hmm. and uh, general conference or whatever. But there has never been anything that is more spiritually powerful than the scriptures to me. It they just something about deep analysis of somebody else's thoughts and experience through the lens of the Spirit and the Savior just makes a huge difference for me as I'm able to look into the scriptures and and understand and not understand and use different skills and capabilities that I've learned as I've grown up and the scriptures do it for me, man. Yeah. The Perfect. scriptures are it. I don't think we don't, I, I just, this is just my opinion, but I, I don't, I don't think that we spend enough time in them. Like, I think that I don't think anybody's ever looked back on their day and felt like, Oh man, if only I had spent less time in the scriptures, like, it's just, uh, it's always time well invested. Really wonder at the judgment bar, whether Jesus might not ask, how well did you utilize the scriptures? And I wonder if my reaction will be honest. And I'm sure I'll be honest. I mean, he's Jesus. But I wonder if I'll be able to be honest with myself and how insufficiently I utilize the scriptures. And then I'll probably ask me about fasting. I'll be like, Jesus, I don't know, man. I just, I really like food, okay? This one's in your hands. <laughs> I'm, I've tried. <laughs> I have tried to make this good. And my wife is so good at that. And my kids are starting to get at it. And I'm sitting there like... Maybe they'll help you along. That's what families <sighs> are for. Yeah, maybe that's my goal now. Now that it's on the internet, I'm going to try to be better about fasting. Okay. Well, if ward members come and ask you how fast fasting is going on the first Sundays of the month, then we'll know. We'll know. We know, we know why. The podcast. We know why now. Yeah. All right. So just to wrap things up, I like to I like to end with one question. Um, if you uh, could send or leave one message behind for your posterity to hear, posterity to hear, <clears throat> what would it be? It's a good question. 
It's a very wide question. It, it is very wide, yeah. It encompasses yeah. a lot. I would want my posterity to know if I could leave only one message. And of course, there's part of me that's like, well, you didn't say how long the message could be. So mm -hmm. allow me to now talk for 4,000 hours while I tell them <laughs> everything I'd like them to know. But if I had to boil it down to something that's small and significant, it is that Jesus Christ is willing and able to help us. And we do not have to do things alone. And because of that willingness by Jesus Christ to help us, our own capability is increased. He gives us a piece of who he is when we struggle. When he gives us strength to overcome trials, that's his strength that he gives to us. And we keep it. When we finish our trial, when we no longer struggle, we have his strength. And piece by piece over the course of an eternity, my own self will break down and fail and struggle. But those places that are broken and failures can be filled by Jesus Christ's ultimate success. And eventually, hopefully, I will be like him. Not because of anything that I did. But because every single time I have failed, he has been there to fill me and to make me somebody different than I was before. Yeah. A very hopeful message, right? Something that all of us well, depend there's, on. There's no way around failure in life. You know, no. it's like I look at my kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to feel so bad. You know, I'm like, and sometimes I'm like... Especially my, my son, Eli, who displays a lot of the same characteristics that I have as a mm -hmm. child. I just want to be like, nah, dude, if you, just, if you just do this, and if you just that, and if you blah, 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 then, you know, you could do so much. Or you could, and there's a piece of me that just wants to live vicariously through that mm -hmm. and be like everything that I could have been or could have done if I had been different but I think there's a good reason Heavenly Father doesn't live vicariously through us it's because it's not about him it's mm -hmm. about us and the experiences that we have and the ways that we grow and change through making mistakes and living our own lives any yeah. piece of advice is going to fall fall short other than connect to Jesus as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect solution in place. We just need to utilize that, right? The only solution. Yeah. We can try something else, but it's just, you know, when you put that, uh, what's it called? The, the, um, the caulk gun, when you like oh, caulk yeah. something, you're like, mm -hmm. this is temporary. Like, yeah. That's, that's going to eventually just like fall <laughs> yeah. apart. I'm going to have to redo this. It's uh -huh. not like, is it a sealant? Yeah. Is it going to work to keep this together? Yeah. But like, not a long-term solution. That's yeah. not forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good outlook. Well, um, Tucker, we really appreciate it. I know that, uh, there's been a lot of things I think people can relate to, uh, that you've discussed and, uh, great suggestions and, and, uh, solutions that you've been able to, I don't know, share from your own experience. So really thank you for having it, uh, having it in this context for the board to listen to. Of course.